Hi everyone, welcome to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, birth trauma survivor turned podcast host. Today we will hear from Ebony Ford for part one of her story. Ebony is many things, a daughter, a gospel artist's wife, a former paramedic and medical biller. I imagine when she was planning her life, she never saw herself being a preeclampsia slash help survivor, a NICU mom, and now the owner of Miracle Mamas LLC. Tune in to hear more about how when her regular OB was out of the office and a dismission of her symptoms led to a life-threatening condition, an arduous NICU journey, and a long-term recovery for her daughter. Hi, Ebony. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share your story. I feel incredibly honored to raise awareness for your story and the thing, the amazing things that you're doing now. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy. So excited to be on the podcast. And I can't wait to happen. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with an introduction about you and your family. Sure. So I am Ebony Ford. I'm a native to the Washington, D.C. area. I'm a wife of almost 11 years. I'm married to an amazing man. His name is Ryan Ford. And he also happens to be a gospel recording artist. So music is huge in our home. Wonderful. I'm also a mom to a four, almost five-year-old next month named Ray Victoria. She was a 26-weeker, born weighing one pound, 15 ounces, and we'll hear a bit more about her story in a bit. Uh, we are all expecting our second child, our mm-hmm. first son, in May. Uh, so we are patiently awaiting Sir Roman and definitely patiently waiting. Uh, we are in no rush to see him anytime soon. But above that, I'm a maternal health advocate. I founded Miracle Mama, which is an organization that really caters to the needs of mothers and caregivers, of those who were born premature, those who are medically fragile or complex or otherwise disabled. We provide and connect with the resources to help make this journey a little bit easier. We also help and mentor those who have gone through birth trauma experiences, connecting them to the resources that they need, be it mental health, physical, whatever they need, we connect them hopefully become the bridge so that we can make a little dent in the thing that we are calling the maternal health crisis. So that is who I am. That is what I do in short. Really excited to be here. I love that you said the Annette coming around these mamas and daddies who their life has been flipped upside down and how you're providing that net for them to fall in is just amazing. What really started me on this journey is just making sure that I am being all of the things that I did it when I needed mm. When I was going through birth trauma, I didn't know anybody who had a traumatic story. I didn't know anybody who had a micro I didn't even know what health syndrome mm-hmm. was. And mm-hmm. I can be that and hopefully to these moms before they get to labor and delivery to educate them and then those who are going through the next give them a heads up of what the process is like and support them. It just makes me feel like mm-hmm. I've done my due diligence. Whenever I want to see anyone walk into the dark, I can help others just navigate the waters that almost drowned my family and I, and I feel like I've done my due diligence. That's amazing. My birth trauma happened when I was in labor. 
we had no warning signs. I, when I was pregnant, I did have a funny feeling of something was going to happen, but you could, at least for me, I just always chalk it up to anxiety and like, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm healthy. I'll be fine. But then when you wake up, all of these things that happen, and I did have some support, like from the ASE Foundation, and as I built my network of ASE assisters, but from the hospital itself, it was, and they did send in a social worker. I just remember her trying to crack jokes, and I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, I just went through this awful experience, and you're trying to crack jokes, like, I don't know. It just felt very, very weird and which is completely atypical for me. Like, I love a good dad joke. It's totally against my personality. But I think it's a beautiful thing that you're coming alongside these parents who their world has literally been flipped upside down. And you're saying, hey, let me hold your hand and provide you these resources so you don't have to find it on your own because that's what I had to do. And that made my recovery that much harder absolutely a lot of us didn't really realize in its entirety what happens to us when it happens i know for me it was about six months until it really really sank in i think because i went from survival mode from my birth to survival mode having a baby in the NICU so i didn't get to go home and put my feet up and recover i was literally <laughs> you know in the NICU all day all night praying to God that this one pound baby would survive. And so it took a while. It was a bit delayed. But once I got it and I was just determined, nobody else was going to feel this. Nobody else was going to experience this if I could help it. And not necessarily the of the birth trauma, but the help, like the helplessness that comes with it, the loneliness, feeling like nobody around mm -hmm. you. That for me was harder than the actual definitely made it my life's mission to show up and definitely not in cracking jokes because much like you I wouldn't have laughed at anything at that point I was just in a daze I was very much in shock like what in the world just happened to me what I needed was support some people support in the ways that they think are helpful it's not always helpful they do the best that they can I want to believe mm -hmm. but now we're educated so we can be that person instead of cracking jokes agreed and even one of my family members came to visit me. So I was out of the life-threatening part of my birth trauma on the cardiac floor. And this was probably like maybe six months ago. She shared with me how when she came to visit me, so this was probably three weeks after my baby was born or two weeks, something like that. And she said, you were just a zombie. You were just completely checked out. Like you were not yourself, things like that. And as I've reflected on her comment, I'm like, did you ever think to say, instead of just saying, how are you, really sit down, hold my hand and say, how are you today? How, is there something I can get for you? Is there something that you want to talk about? It took six months for me to fully understand the severity of my birth trauma, especially since I had three hospitalizations within those first like, six to seven months. It was just... It wasn't just emotional healing that needed to happen. I needed a lot of physical healing too. And it's mind-boggling to me that obviously you don't want to scare someone who's just almost died and tell them 
you might you might have another rehospitalization that's possible but on the other hand i don't know what the missing piece is i don't know what the answer is but i know it's not what we're currently doing because that's not working how do you feel about that if people they do their best yeah i thought they do their best to show up but I know a lot of what I got from the NICU aspect and also what happened to me was like I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say we got more silence than we got people just trying to show up with antidotes and those who did show up in that sense were looking for my husband and I to be who we'd always been to them and one thing I tell people now is that birth trauma changes you forever. You mm-hmm. see which way that goes if you choose to shut down, if you choose to lend your life to the trauma, or whether you choose to fight or to, to persevere through that. But it changes you in ways that you can't currently describe. And when you're in thick of it, I tell people it's selfish to expect anything other than survival at that point. I've just overcome a a life-threatening situation and I have a baby in my case was fighting for her life as well my husband almost became a a widower and a single father in the same day this is not what we expected so if we're in shock forgive us we shouldn't have to ask for it but forgive us Mm. can't be to you what you need right now we're just trying to breathe and take it out of and that's literally all you can do when you've gone through things like this. And another family member said, in those early days, you just look like death. And I was like, maybe that's because I coded multiple times. Wow. I'm so sorry they said that to you. That was highly interesting. Thank you for acknowledging that. It's just I'm in shock that this might happen to you. And I'm like, dude, what do you think it's like for me? Or what do you think it's like for my husband? It's weird. It's so weird, right? They find it. They find ways to be selfish in these moments that have absolutely nothing to do with them. They find ways to make it about them. And it is just incredible to me. And even like I have a friend who we were talking about, she has PTSD from her birth trauma and she's about to go back to work as an L&D nurse and like obviously that's really hard and so we've been discussing like how do we better support moms especially with the several I there's a story in Florida I believe in New York and California of three moms who had postpartum psychosis and the worst situation happened and I'm like yet you're telling this mom to just push through and go back to work when she's not ready you know what I mean there's got to be a better answer and it starts in my opinion it starts with our like our smaller circle of of support i'm not going to make this heart situation about me i'm going to support you and ask you what you need in this situation i think the best thing that we can do is to model the support that we would like to receive and i've had to do that more times than would have cared for but even like I have an in-law who was not supportive at all through the birth trauma. Very present during the pregnancy, but not supportive during the birth and all of that. And mm-hmm. 
they went on to have a baby. And what I did was I modeled what you should do. And this was their first child. Um, I modeled what you should do. So I sent gift cards food. I texted. I asked how nursing was going. Asked all of these questions. Was your and, and they had a great birth experience from my understanding. Mm-hmm. But I still wanted to model the kind of support that mothers need after having such a huge transition. Mm-hmm. I gave them time. You just got home with your baby. We're not going to rush. We're not going to come over. Take your time. We'll come over when we can. And I could tell that made a huge impact on them. And all I can hope is that moving forward, that they will support others, whether their birth story is as amazing as theirs was or as tragic as mine. A birth experience is a birth experience. The hormones are the same. The needs are generally the same. And all we can do is model, educate and model. That's all we can do. I think it's a beautiful picture of how you chose to rise above and model the things that you wanted after your severe birth trauma. And you're right that not all the needs are the same, but the basic needs that a new parent needs are pretty much the same. And obviously, as you have a life-threatening complication or a baby in the NICU, those needs rise. But that's I think that speaks a lot to your character of how you chose to rise above and support people who unfortunately did not support you. I can be honest and say it gets exhausting having to, as some would say, be the bigger person. It's exhausting, Mm -hmm. but it is worth it if there's someone else from receiving what I receive. If I can keep you from making Mm -hmm. insensitive comments to someone else or making it about you with someone else, then Mm -hmm. it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. Amazing. Let's also talk about your mental health advocate work with Marta Dimes. It's amazing how it even happened. After I got out of the NICU, let's back up. While in the NICU with my daughter, I was looking for answers. I was looking for, I didn't know anything about a 26-week-old, what the NICU journey even looked like. I hadn't even toured the NICU. It was so far off my radar. I was just grasping for straws. And I looked online. I knew March of Dimes was an organization that advocates for preemies. And at that time, Mm -hmm. they still had message boards. And so I went on the message boards and started searching like 26 weeks ago. Found all of these moms who were sharing their stories and what their experiences were like. And it really made me feel like I was not alone. At the same time, I started my Instagram page, mm-hmm. the And She Shall Rain page. It was really for family to keep up with her NICU journey so that I didn't keep yeah. getting a million texts and calls per day. Asked me how her day went or her pictures, or whatever. So we were really just, it was like a video diary is how we started that page. Little did I know, there were other pages on Instagram of people who were documenting their children's journey through prematurity. And so all these families found me. And there was one family in particular in her bio, it said that she was an ambassador for March of God. And I was like, what is an ambassador? Mm-hmm. What is that? So when we got home, when we got settled in, I was like, I really want to get back in some way. They've been super supportive. Wow. Let me just reach out. And so I took a little contact form, told them my story. 
And someone got in touch with me in the back of the week. And so happened, the person who got in touch with me, our babies were born on the same day in the same hospital. Wow. So it was like fate. Oh, my God. We were, this was definitely meant to be, like, meant for us to be. Can I just say, after my birth trauma, I no longer believe in coincidences. I never did. But there are some experiences that are just like, whoa, this. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely one of them. We are still, she doesn't work for the organization anymore, but we are still very close. I reached out and told her, this is what I saw. An ambassador program, what is that? So she was saying that at the time they didn't have, that program wasn't up and running, but they were getting it going again. And they would definitely love to use me in that regard share my story with organizations, mm-hmm. especially during fundraising time. It went from me sharing my story with all these big corporations to being asked to do commercials and print ads. So I did a commercial on the campaign was called It's Not Fine, really tailor-made to my story, which I'm sure we may get into a bit later, but I've heard that term about four times the day I had my daughter. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure there's nothing wrong. I'm sure there's a simple explanation for this. Just very dismissive of what was going on with me. And so, doing this commercial meant a lot to me. From the commercial, they were printed. And it went everywhere. It premiered on the Bravo Network. The print ads were on websites everywhere. And my page started buzzing. Family and friends were posting it everywhere. There were pictures of just me. It was done with my daughter and I. They were tailor-made, like, with our names in them and sharing our story. There were so many variations, but they were everywhere. And so blogs and all these people started contacting me from everywhere. And this little page that was just family and friends and a few preemie families who found me, it, it, my followers nearly tripled in about a month. March Dimes was just amazing and just putting me on various events. To share my story also working locally wow. to get information in our NICU here in the Maryland, D.C. and Virginia area, mentoring other parents who are in the NICU, who are coming home from the NICU. That was an amazing experience, and it really set the groundwork for what I do full-time now. I work with March of Dimes. It's been amazing. It's going on five years. Work at advocacy with them. It's been incredible. We've been afforded opportunities to go to Gerber and share our story, to share on our March for Babies walk. Um, and to fundraise. They're an incredible organization who do so many amazing things for not just my area, but just nationally. They're definitely leaders in research and prematurity. As birth trauma aside, I'm always careful. Until my daughter is old enough to be able to do it herself, I always want to advocate for her and share her story until she's of age to be able to share it herself as a teen or adult preemie. And all of my efforts, yeah. I'm always super cautious to make sure that we are giving back March of Dimes. So it's been amazing work. I absolutely love it. That's astounding. Amazing. Let's jump into your birth stories. What are your birth so stories? So my husband and I, we married in 2012. We knew immediately we wanted a family. And I wish was granted. Literally, honeymoon, boom, pregnant. And we were super excited. We are both the oldest of our particular generation in our family. So 
everyone was excited and we were going to be bringing in the newest generation. Pregnancy was uh, fairly uneventful until about six months. I had been experiencing some health issues for a few years and they could never link them together. It just seemed like I was having all of these small issues. But it was during that pregnancy that I began to develop mm-hmm. this rash on my face that was later became known as a butterfly rash, which is a telltale sign of lupus. And so they began testing me, and lo and behold, oh. it turned out that all the issues I had been experiencing for the last 10 years were attributed to lupus. So I immediately went into treatment. My health began to improve. Pregnancy was very uneventful. Until 32 weeks, I woke up one day. I was extremely high fever, and I was shaking. I felt horrible. My body was just, my body was not only on fire, but it was sore. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had been literally hit by a car. And my husband took me in. We went to the doctor first. They said, just come in. Let's check you. They took my blood pressure. It was super high. They sent me over to the emergency room. In an emergency room for about three hours. I was a very busy Monday. And once they finally got me back, took my pressure, started giving me meds, and then they wanted to take me over to ultrasound to get a look at the baby. I'd been explaining to them I hadn't really felt or moved too much. And they were like, oh, that's normal with a fever. Let's just see what's going on. And it was in that ultrasound that we discovered mm-hmm. um, at 32 weeks, our baby, I was going to be born still. And so that was a monumental blow to us, to our family, just a week out from our baby shower. So we've got vendors, invites, people flying. It was a lot. It was a lot to bear. And six months later, found out we were pregnant again. That pregnancy ended at 14 weeks and an early loss. And at that point, we were like, okay. Something right. We need to dig in. And all of the testing kept saying everything was fine. Genetic testing, I mm-hmm. was fine. My husband was fine. Um, my husband had hemophilia, so we were wondering was there something with that? But no, nothing. Um, they literally could not explain it. Now, with the stillbirth, we knew it was a cord accident. So that's nothing genetic that, that just happened. But the loss, I'm like, this is. Like we said earlier, there, there are no coincidences. I'm like, what is going on here? Two times in a row in a matter mm-hmm. of a year, something's not right. But we kept on living. We just decided to just keep going. This is all within our first 18 months of marriage, mind you. So we're just getting married. We're still trying to adjust to that. Yeah. We're 25, going into 26, well, so we're young. Just trying to build our lives. We found out we were pregnant again two and a half years later. Found out that we were pregnant with twins, which was Super exciting, but overwhelming. I'm sure. Sense. Went to our first ultrasound, saw the two heartbeats. But the following ultrasound lended us some difficulties in that we found out that there was a placental issue and our twins had something called mm. twin to twin transfusion. Uh, where essentially one twin is uh, more of the blood flow and the nutrients, and the other is essentially not. So there was a huge size discrepancy on ultrasound. One baby looked about three and a half to four weeks further than the other. Their heart rates were very, it was just pretty drastic from the beginning. Uh, but with steroids and some other interventions, we were hopeful 
that all will be well. On the 21 weeks, we went in and met with them concerning surgery. And at this point, they just really got to uh, perfecting the laser mm-hmm. surgery for twin-to-twin transfusion. And so we had this long discussion about going to Johns Hopkins, which is about an hour away from me to be admitted because we had the procedure. And unfortunately, before we could do that, we lost to both of our boys. Oh, no. So that was definitely, and they say the straw that broke the camel's back for us, that was the killer of all dreams, apparently. At that point, we were just like, you know what? This, no. This is not it. This is not it. We're not going to be parents. We just need to trust that this is not supposed to be. Let's figure it out. And as, as much as I tried to move on and act like everything was okay, or like I had made peace, I knew in my heart that yeah. I was going to be a mother. As a child, it is literally all I ever wanted. Mm. But we just said, you know what? There are other ways to make a family. We'll look into adoption. We'll look into other things. But right now, let's just focus on us. Let's focus on hearing. I went back to school, got my degree. We were just going about life. 2017, which is two and a half years later, I started to take note to the fact that we were not actively preventing pregnancy, mm-hmm. but we weren't getting pregnant. So I was like, there's got to be some kind of infertility issue here. Because we were getting pregnant super easy before, so what's different yeah. now? And so we started looking into it. Meanwhile, still saying, outwardly saying, oh, we're not going to worry about getting pregnant. But like I said, it was always in my mind, like, I'm supposed to be alive. So again, they couldn't find any explanation besides you're just not ovulating. You don't have PCOS. You don't know. So I'm just like, okay, whatever. If it's meant to be, it'll be okay. me. It's probably not. So let me just move on. And so I started looking into adoption in September of the year. And something in me, you're moving too fast. You're moving too fast. Like I'm moving. What does that mean? Every time I would take a step forward to look into it, something else would happen to distract me. And that next month in October, I set up with an adoption lawyer to discuss some options. And immediately, the day that that meeting, I started feeling unwell. I felt like something was off. I thought, okay, maybe my leak is flaring. Let me relax. Let me chill. We had some plans coming up with our fifth wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. So we were super excited. And the day before we went to meet with the lawyer, wow. we found out we were expecting. So that whole feeling of you're moving too fast made perfect and from the moment that we saw that positive test i just knew in my gut everything was going to be okay i didn't know how i just i felt like everything was going to be okay and we went in pregnancy was amazing completely uneventful i knew i was having a girl i just somehow knew so i went and brought all these girl clothes i put the stuff all over the house so that I could see it as like a testament of faith for me to just continue to believe that you're going to bring your baby home. Everything's going to be fine. Literally, I put stuff in the strangest places as just a reminder. You're going to bring this baby home. Everything's going to be okay. We went to the best doctors in the area. They kept amazing watch on us all the way up until 25 weeks. I went in for a standard appointment. 
the day before, I noticed a little bit of swelling in my hands and my feet. Nothing too crazy, but it was mm-hmm. a new symptom, and I just wanted to bring it up. I was already on baby aspirin to prevent preeclampsia. I had three risk factors for it. So they wanted to just stay on top of that. I got the full work of every single appointment. They were so amazing with that. So I showed up to this 25-week appointment, ready to express my concern. I get there and find out that my doctor, my, my normal high-risk doctor, had an emergency feature. So we could not see her. We had to see a partner. This, apartment, this, this mm-hmm. appointment felt very off to me from the beginning because of, one, how long we waited. We waited like an hour and a half to see a doctor, which never happened at that practice. It just felt it, it The whole day just felt really off. So we get back there, and the doctor is, so interested in our history, our obsessive history. He has us go through all the stories from stillbirth till now. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But today, I'm experiencing this and this. I noticed that my blood pressure at triage was a little higher than normal. That's not a high number that I know, but it's high for me. My blood pressure is normally on the low side. It's normally like in the one mm-hmm. and today it's like 135. So that's high for me. And I've got swelling and he was just super dismissive. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, we do test every time you, you ace them. Everything is great. You should be fine. So we get to the appointment. We had to make the car beat and all of that. And at the end, they typically hand us all of this paperwork to go down and mm-hmm. get blood work. I'm accustomed to that. So I asked, okay, do I need to go get what we're going to get it for the best. Oh, no. You always do it. It's always fine. Your insurance company's probably going to stop paying for it if you keep doing it. And I'm like, I don't care about that. I want to make sure that I'm okay. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care if they bill me. Just, I would rather continue to do this. Little did I know, my doctor had left very clear instructions of what test to order for me that day before she left the office. He completely disregarded it. As her senior, and was just like, it's always fine. Your pregnancy is fine. Then my husband, are you sure? Yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. So we were supposed to go on a trip that we were using as a baby mode two days later. And I said, okay, we're supposed to travel. We're supposed to go to Vegas. Are we okay to do that? We're 25 going on 26 weeks. And with this little swelling, are, are you sure? He said, yeah, just get some compression socks. I can say you take your baby aspirin and start double it up that morning before you get on your flight. Just double it the whole time you're there. Make sure you walk on the plane. If it's not a direct flight, just get up the walk. You can take your socks off, put them back on. Massage the legs. If you feel like this, too tight. You should be fine. Hmm. Okay. All right. And I remember leaving the office having this very uneasy feeling. Okay, the doctor, I'm going to trust them. He's the head of the department. I'm going to trust them. We go home. We park. Two days later, we go to Vegas. Get there. Having a great time the first day. Go to sleep. Wake up in the morning and notice that the swelling hurts wow. about double. In my hands and my feet. I had to take my wedding rings off, which was a struggle because I could just see this was not going well. But still, it wasn't really hindering me much. We continued to do what we were doing. I wore my compression socks. I took my medicine. So everything was fine. 
went to bed that night. And in the middle of the night, I woke up with this breathless feeling. I could not lay down flat. I couldn't take the four to five steps to the bathroom without feeling winded. And I was like, something is very much wrong here. So I sent a message to my doctor and was like, hey, we just saw such and such doctor a couple of days ago. He told us to go on the trip. He didn't do our blood work. But now I'm here. How I She said, hurry up and come home. I said, there's an ER down the street. Do you think I should go? And she absolutely not. Get the first flight wow. and get home. I didn't understand why she was saying that. But thank God I listened. We got home. By the time we got home, I fell asleep on the flight. When I opened my eyes, my vision was completely black and white. Old time TV, black and white, literally. And I thought maybe I was sleepy. I kept rubbing my eyes. My butt tired, literally, all kind of visual disturbances. If I, like when I went to stand up, I could see spots. Things were moving. I was sick from my stomach. Um, I had this nagging pain in my stomach. I had taken my shoes off in the flight, couldn't put my shoes back on by the time. Wow. And I was like, okay, something's very wrong. So my husband got a wheelchair and they were able to wheel me off the plane. Wheeled me up the ramp. He went and got the car, got the bags, all that stuff. They wheeled me to the car. We went home. We put the bags down. And I tried. I, you know what? Maybe I'll be fine. I'll be fine. But then my gut was like, get up and go. We go to the emergency. We go first to labor and delivery, which is what they tell you to go. Mm-hmm. This is where the it's not my button. So the nurse asked me a thousand questions. Am I labored? I have a contraction. So I'm just with all these things. And I'm like, no, I'm experiencing chest pains, visual differences. So stick to my stomach, bullet, that She has the blood pressure cuff in her hand, but Weird. she never put it on me. And she was continuing to ask me all these questions. So she said, since you're not in labor, I actually labor on again. You need to go to the emergency room. So I was like, okay, who's going to wheel me down there? Because I was wheeled up. You need transportation. I'm like, yeah, I do. So who's going to do that? Mind you, my husband was still parking the car. She's, oh, well, I'll call someone. 15 minutes go by. Finally, someone shows up, wheels me to the emergency room. I get into triage and I find out that my blood pressure is 262 over 150. Oh my gosh. Which explains why I can't see. I didn't know because I had looked in the mirror. The whites in my eyes were completely red at that point. Everything that I was feeling was just super intensified. And I just had this, this feeling of impending doom. Like something is about to go terribly mm-hmm. wrong. And the nurse, she took it again. She put it on my other arm and she took it again. And she was like, okay, grab your thing. Because this is about to go very quick. And she turned around and hit a button on the wall. And then she made a call. All these people ran out. They were taking me to the back. I could hear them saying brain attack in the ER. Brain attack in the ER. Like, brain attack? What in the world is that? So they rushed me back and the doctor explained they're calling a brain attack, which is a stroke, because they don't know if I'm having a stroke. But they just want to have all hands on deck. So they pumped me full of meds. I have three IVs at this point. They're pushing magnesium to get my blood pressure down as well as other medicines. They get it down a little bit. All of the dwindles down. And the doctor came in and he's just like, so we're waiting on all your tests to come back. 
but I'm pretty sure you have preeclampsia. And so my goal is to keep you pregnant until about 32 weeks. You're going to stay here in the hospital. You're not leaving the hospital today. That's, that's definitely not happening. You're going to stay here. You're going to be admitted until you're 32 weeks. If we can keep you pregnant longer and keep your blood pressure at bay, then that's what we'll do. Uh, right now, your blood pressure is still not great, but the medicine has been trending downward. So the hope is that will continue. And we've got a few more tests we're waiting on, and then we're going to go ahead and get you admitted up to late for delivery. So we started calling our family who didn't even know we were back in town yet. So we're bringing them up to date, telling them what's going on. And she rushed back in maybe 10 minutes later with a whole different set of people. And they're like, while him and I are talking, they're unplugging stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to labor and deliver. Well, well. And he's like, Mrs. Ford, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but you're going to have your baby together. And I was like, what? What happened? What changed? You just said I had six weeks. I got more of your test back. You are in complete liver failure. You are in complete kidney failure. And your platelets are extremely low. If you have something called health syndrome, I'll explain it on the way. But we have to get on this elevator and we have to keep up this section right. So let's go. And literally, they picked up everything, threw it on the bench, and ran me upstairs. So I am freaking out. I am crying. I am hysterical. What in the world? I'm only 26 weeks. What does a 26 week baby look like? What is this? I knew from reading that she was viable at that time. We were telling us that viability was 24 weeks. But viable doesn't yeah. mean healthy. That concludes part one of Ebony's story. Tune in next week to hear more. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.